How did I get here? I keep looking. I keep looking. How do I get out of here? Sometimes life makes it so hard to breathe. morning quest. If you have a Bible, let's turn to uh, Matthew 26. We are in a, an eight-week series called Emotional Healthy Spirituality, or Quest for Life. The thesis is that emotional health and contemplative spirituality together unleash real dynamite in our lives and get us on a whole new journey with Christ. I want to read that again. The thesis is that emotional health and contemplative spirituality together unleash real dynamite in all of our lives and get us on a whole new journey with Christ. Important stuff. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for a beautiful fall weekend. We thank you for life and breath and for the gift of being here among music that lifts up your name and lifts our hearts and our spirits. And so I pray, God, that as we look at your word, that your word would speak to us and nurture us and transform us into the image of your Son to grow us into mature men and women who know you and love you and that our lives will be a gift to those around us. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, well, those of you that are Buckeye fans know that at least for one week, all is right with the solar system. The Buckeyes win, Michigan lose. Everything is as as it should be. We'll see how long that lasts. Uh, Today, our topic is emotional claustrophobia, enlarging your soul through grief and loss enlarging your soul through grief and loss. And we will spotlight Matthew's account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The key word here is enlarge, enlarging our soul. I want you to focus on that. And the reason it's so important is from the moment we're born, we are going through loss. I mean, you may not remember it, but when you left your mother's womb, it was a loss. It was a shock to be out there in the open air. And one day, you and I will lose everything. I mean, we're headed, each of us, to a moment when we will have lost all of our relationships, and our health, and our possessions, and our achievements. And we will stand before God, utterly naked and stripped of everything. So all of life is, is one of going through loss. And each stage is different. Nobody is exempt. Our lives are filled with it. But it's a critical issue of spiritual mature, maturity and discipleship that we find all over Scripture. And I would say it's not possible to grow into maturity as a disciple of Christ without dealing with the issue of grief and loss. It is not possible to grow into maturity as a disciple of Christ without dealing with the issue of grief and loss and allowing it to enlarge your heart. It leads to wholeness. It leads to depth. It leads to an ability to be free in life, to engage life. Then we learn to get things that we need and let go of the things uh, that we need to let go of. Our souls get enlarged and changed. You know, every family has a different way of dealing with grief and loss. But the challenge for each of us is to do it God's way, to do it biblically. Maybe that's the reason that two-thirds of the Psalms are griefs or laments. 
The book of Jeremiah is filled with laments and griefs to God. Most of the book of Job is him struggling with grief and loss. And today I want to look at Jesus and how he dealt with grief and loss as a model of what it looks like for us to be fully human and engage in grief and loss. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He knew what he was talking about. So let's read the text. Try to picture yourself, imagine yourself being there when this is happening. As we begin at Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray that you would not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Now, I want, to, I want you to picture this scene, and let's underline a few words as we begin to, to pick it apart. Look at verse 37, and it says, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now, the word sorrowful basically means sad, depressed. Have any of you in this room ever dealt with depression? I know that I have. The good news is that depression is not always a sin. Here we see Jesus himself struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see the word sorrowful or sadness or depression. The Gospel of Mark uses a different Greek word that means horror came over him. And the scripture also tells us that he is troubled. He's severely distressed. Luke uses the word in anguish. Jesus says it very clearly to his disciples. He's very public about it. In verse 38, he continues, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Hebrews 5.7 states that Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He was making known his prayers. In Isaiah 53, the prophet writes of the coming Messiah that he would be a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. He is in so much anguish, he's overwhelmed with the heaviness. It says to the point of death, And he falls with his face to the ground. He falls with his face to the ground and prays. You know, your physical position says a lot, uh, and your posture says a lot about what you're going through, what's happening spiritually inside of you. Jesus is flat on the ground, and he's crying out in prayer. He is broken. He is empty. He has nothing to hold on to but God at this point. Luke expounds on this passage in chapter 22, verse 44. And being in anguish... He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Theologians and doctors have concluded that his capillaries were bursting. 
his loss and his grief were so intense, he's laid out on the ground in blood is actually like sweat coming out of him. This is supposed to shock you. Have you ever been overwhelmed to the point that you're just flat out, that you have nothing left? The losses that Jesus is experiencing here are overwhelming. He's experiencing or about to experience bearing the weight of God's judgment for all sin. He's going to be cut off from the Father. He's going to experience and taste hell. As he considers becoming sin, he who knew no sin, imagine that Jesus will drink the cup at this point, which is to drink God's judgment for sin. All sin, every sin that's ever been committed in human history, genocide, rape, incest, war, murder. I mean, just go down the list. He's drinking the whole cup. And not just all sin, but the judgment that each sin deserves. And he's looking at this loss in this cup in front of him, and he's flat out overwhelmed, troubled, anguish, and horror. He's crying out, Jesus, with his face on the ground, God in the flesh. He's also suffering the loss of his friends, like Judas. Jesus was close to Judas. There was a three-year friendship. Judas is obviously going to betray him. He will lose his 11 disciples with whom he has served, loved, washed their feet, taught them, been patient with them. They're all going to desert him. Israel, the nation he loves, God's chosen people, they're going to desert him. In fact, the world which he loves is going to crucify him, all in the name of God, whom he is. Think about it. What a mess. But what's incredible about this passage is it refers to him being handed over. Something is going to be done to him But in a sense, he's letting go of control. He's allowing himself to be handed over. You know, if I were Matthew or or, or Mark or Luke and I was writing this this part of the Bible, I probably would have cut this whole thing out. You know, this portrayal is not that of a superhero. I mean, I would have cleaned Jesus up for this passage, at least made him, you know, more serene or peaceful or, or maybe somebody heroic, you know, like a movie character out of The Incredibles. But Jesus is prostrate. He hasn't lied or sinned. Look at this picture of Jesus, fully God and fully human, face to the ground. And what's so heavy about this is that Jesus wants this postponed. Or he's looking to God asking, is there any other way out of this? Is there a plan B? Can you get your will done some other way without me having to drink this cup? Jesus asks if it is possible. I mean, look closely and you'll see that Jesus asked the same thing three times. It's like three waves coming at him during his grief. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And what's important to catch here is that if you think that Jesus is always going to give you health and wealth and prosperity, and that it's possible to have all bad things removed from our lives, this passage shoots that theory down. It's important to notice that Jesus doesn't get his miracle. Jesus asks, if it's possible, let's get rid of this. Let's get the salvation of the world some other way. And God says, no, you will drink the cup. And Jesus says, okay, Father, not my will, but yours be done. So what does it mean to be a human being on earth? I mean, Jesus is fully human and he's fully God. Do you and I live in such a way that as we walk through losses, that our soul is enlarged and not constricted. I'm going to give you two themes here. The first is listening to the interruption of the grief as opposed to not listening. And the second is learning to fall 
which goes against all of our natural inclinations. For Jesus, this was obviously an interruption. This was interrupting his entire life. But that's the thing about losses. Every time they come into your life and my life, they interrupt our plans. I don't know about you, but I got plans. I got places to go, people to see, things to do. My plans don't include suffering, grief, and loss. So every time that comes in, I say, just get out of here. I don't want to feel it, and I don't have time for it. Especially the big ones, you know. And our, our tendency is to ignore them or, or throw them out. And losses come in so many forms, right? Everything's from the death of people that we love to divorces to separations to the breakup of relationships that will never be restored to illness to crushing disappointments to betrayals of affair and abuse unfulfilled dreams that we have to realize aren't going to happen failures in life disappointments from the bad choices of our children or our parents or doors that are shutting that you now realize are going to be shut forever and new doors are going to have to be open or maybe it's just painful memories of decisions we've made or people we've hurt, and we carry these losses around us. Losses come in so many forms. But our culture does very poorly with loss, especially church culture. The attitude is one of don't feel and don't talk about it. That would be my childhood. Or stuff it, numb it, medicate yourself in some ways. And that's why we love addictions. Everything from shopping to food to drugs to alcohol to sex, you name it. I just don't want to feel it. When we go through loss and grief, we lose control. And who wants to be out of control? We don't. There's a sense here where our faith just doesn't work the way that we'd like it to work. And there's a sense of shame in that. I mean, what kicks in for all of us is, is shame and guilt and a feeling of, well, I must deserve this. Or a shame in who I am that says I'm unlovable and unworthy. That's why I'm going through suffering. And when that happens, if you're sad or feeling shame or guilt, the last place you may want to be is in church. And so in your sadness and depression, you leave until you get happy and you come back to church. You know, often the message that you get at church is don't come here if you're sad. And then what happens is we get people who come to church and they fake it. How are you, we ask? Good, good. Praise the Lord. Everything's fine. Right? And we end up pretending. We have fellowships in churches of pretend and pretense as if we're not grieving and we're not going through losses. And the irony of it all is that Jesus is on the ground, grieving loss, literally sweating blood. And in his name, we create communities where we don't grieve, and we end up pretending with pretense and a lack of brokenness. How ironic is that? You know, I used to think that good Christians or strong Christians don't get hurt or confused or discouraged. Good Christians definitely don't fall on their faces, especially leaders. And then there's this Jesus, the leader of all. I mean, he's God. If anything can shape up your theology, it's this, God in the flesh on the ground. And because Jesus is entirely human, just like us, he has emotions, he has a body, he has a mind, he's real. Jesus really is one of us, and he doesn't stuff his emotions. He actually says to his disciples, he actually says it out loud, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. I feel so bad I could die. Have you ever felt like that? I have. You know, previously I've shared with you about a time of, of healing in my life that, that God led me to. I was, I was crying out for relief and freedom, and God answered those prayers by leading me to face my grief and my loss, things that I had previously ignored. He called me to listen to the interruption. 
And I've shared with you that during this time, the pain was nearly unbearable. You know, I can remember being so raw that I just didn't want to face another day. I would have given anything to be somebody else just for a day. So I didn't have to feel the pain that I was going to feel that day. I took three months off of work because I couldn't work as I dealt with the pain. And during this time, I kept a, kept a grief journal with the help of an awesome Christian counselor who led me through this process with great wisdom and godly love. And on February 19th, 2003, I wrote this in my journal. I titled it Heartbroken about my childhood and the divorce of my parents. Grasping the extent of the immense losses in my life leaves me flooded with sadness. The finality of them has forever haunted me. The marriage was over and there is nothing I could do about it. I had lost my father and there was nothing I could do about it. My mother was in constant emotional and physical pain and there was nothing I could do about it. The family was fractured, chaotic, filled with anger and fear, and there was nothing I could do about it. My life was filled with pain, grief, fear, and longing, and there was nothing I could do about it. The finality of it all, the helplessness, hopelessness that I carried with me each day, the situation could not be fixed and would only get worse with each passing day. The intense sadness and fear that I was not allowed to feel or express, how incredibly sad. The carnage that surrounded me was brutal. Shattered lives and hopes and dreams, pain and anger and fear, confusion and helplessness abounding, and there was nothing I could do about it. I am heartbroken. I weep. I am covered over completely with grief and sorrow. It seems to me that much is rooted here. Why take the risk or marshal the energy to invest in relationships when this kind of pain Hopelessness and helplessness is the result. Shattered relationships that bring pain which can never be mended. Better to remain protected and distant than to expose myself to this kind of hurt again. That's grief. And what about your cup? Is there something in front of you or, or in your past that brings up sorrow and grief? You know, maybe something you're in right now and you're saying, I can't take it. I'm at my limit. I'm going to die if this thing doesn't work out. That's exactly where Jesus was. And he's the Messiah, you know, God in the flesh. And throughout history, there have been Christians who have struggled with this passage. This is an important passage. They don't like it because they reject the fleshly human Jesus, the Gethsemane Jesus. So there was this early heresy in the first couple hundred years of the church that Jesus was God, but he wasn't fully human. His humanity was like a, a spacesuit that he would put on. You know, those who believe this were called agnostics. He was more spirit. This couldn't be God struggling like this. Agnostics wanted to get rid of the scripture altogether, that he's fully human and fully God. But that's Orthodox Christianity from the very beginning, and the scriptures teach that. And that's also why we can give ourselves permission to listen and feel the interruptions that come into our lives. It's biblical to feel. And Jesus models that for us. You imagine Jesus saying to the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, hey, you know, I mean, we're headed for a tough time, but Jesus is Lord. You know, I'm the king, and God is on the throne. So it's going to look bad, but you hang in there, all right, because the world's going to get saved. Praise me. Or instead of you know, crying out at the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Superhero Jesus would say, victory in Jesus. Victory, victory, victory. 
But in reality, this is our God prostrate on the ground, overwhelmed in anguish, sweating drops of blood, depressed as a human being, not sinning, but wrestling with the will of God. You know, for many of us, we've been taught the message, this invisible rule that went like this, that to listen to the interruptions of loss and grief and end up like Jesus laying on the ground, well, you know, that's basically being a bad Christian. You can't possibly have faith if you're in such a mess. And it's troubling. And I just want to say to you, the one thing this passage teaches is very clear. To not listen to the interruption and allow yourself to feel the weight of it, that's being inhuman. Because you are a human being just like Jesus was. You're not a robot. I had somebody teach me that you know, keeping all this stuff suppressed and not dealing with it was like taking these big balloons and just keeping them, holding them under the water. You ever done that? How much effort is that to keep that thing under the water? How much strength do you need? How much core strength do you need just to keep things submerged under the water? And so it is with grief and loss as we don't deal with them. That energy that we have to keep it pushed down, I don't want to be present to it, it eats at our lives. It erodes our lives. It takes a huge amount of energy. So the first thing that we do is we listen to the interruption rather than shove it away or medicate it. We actually face it head on. We listen for God and we listen to ourselves. But the second thing we do is learn to fall. Now I picked this expression, learning to fall, from a book written by Philip Simmons. It's a very small book written as he was uh, teaching writing at a college. At age 35, he found out that he had Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS. Those of you that are familiar with this disease know it's a very slow, very, very, very horrible way to die. And when he got the news that he would be dead within a few years, he wrote this little book, and he coined this term, learning to fall, because when you have Lou Gehrig's disease, you lose bodily control and you end up falling a lot. You know, imagine teaching a class and falling or being out with your six-year-old and you fall to the ground. It was very humiliating, and that, so that was his theme. But in reality, it's the very opposite. I like the expression because grieving our losses or embracing our losses is like learning to fall. It goes against our entire Western culture, which is bigger, better, higher, more success. You know, we take spirituality the same way. Be bigger, better, stronger, more mature. I've got to get my act together. It's like a spirituality of ascent. But with grief and loss, it's about a spirituality of descent to a cross and to a burial, which leads to a resurrection and new life. You know, there are gems and diamonds and treasures of God out there if you will wait on him and like Jesus say, Lord, I don't want to go this way. I'm asking you for another way. But Lord, if it's your will, I want it. There are gems that can be found in no other place. And that's why, you know, talking about something like emotionally uh, healthy spirituality that rolls into maturity is such an awesome thing. You, know, you, you can't do it. You can't get there without addressing this issue of grief and loss and how you approach life. You have to listen to the interruptions of God. And I really just want to um, affirm Ross, you know, so... To, to have this whole series and dealing with this stuff about being emotionally whole and healthy. You know, for so many churches, they wouldn't touch something like that. It has to be some positive, great, awesome message. And this is one of those. But it's one that forces us to deal with real life and real stuff, stuff that Jesus dealt with. And it's a path to freedom because if we deal with it, if we learn to fall into God's hands, our lives will be changed. 
Listen to this, February 28th, 2003, from my journal. How very sad I am today. It is difficult for me even to write. I would rather cry. This has been a tough week. Wednesday, 226, was the day I went to Forest Lawn Cemetery to release grief, sadness, and anger regarding my parents. My parents were divorced, buried in different places in the same cemetery. I visited my dad's grave first and then my mom's grave. And at each grave, I read the part of my letter that pertained to dad and or mom. And then I read the list of fears, lies that I had believed, and behaviors that I was releasing. Each time I read that of which I was letting go, I released a black balloon into the sky. It was very empowering to watch the balloons become a speck in the sky and then disappear out of sight. And listen to this. I truly left behind many of the burdens, the baggage, and the junk that I have carried my entire life. This felt very good to me. It redefined my relationship with my parents. It was a symbol of my redefining who I am, how I perceive myself, and how I feel about myself. Can you see it? I mean, in obedience, I was learning to face the pain and listen to the interruption. I was learning how to take this terrifying leap off the cliff, trusting that God would somehow catch me. I was learning to live freely. I was experiencing freedom and expanding wholeness for the first time in my life. Everything about me was changing. I will tell you from that day to this day, I have never been the same. God brought a freedom and a life to me that is, is sometimes it's hard to even explain. Empowering, freeing, changing not having to hold those balloons down anymore. You know, when we learn to fall, one of the big things that happen in our lives is that our, our self-will is broken. That stubborn self-will is broken through grieving and loss. Look with me at this incredible verse. I, I just think this is an incredible verse. Hebrews 5.8. That although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. I mean, I hope you don't like that verse. It's a hard verse. I mean, that although that Jesus was the Son of God, he learned obedience. He learned it from what he suffered. Now, that's worth writing on a note card and carrying with you to work or school this week or just meditating on those words and let them wash over you and let God come to you through them. That although he was a son, he learned obedience. How? From what he suffered. You see, Jesus is fully God and fully human. He was not an imaginary human being. And he submitted to God by conforming his human will to God's will. Here's Jesus, the Son of God, laid on the ground, overwhelmed by the will of God and the power of God and the plan of God. You know the feeling? And what makes this text so meaningful is that he said yes to God. Some of you might say, well, you know, that's just Jesus. That was easy for him. No, it wasn't easy for him. He was fully human. And in fact, the big debate over this passage throughout history was the fact that Jesus had a human will and a divine will. And in his human will, he's fully human, and he's struggling to say yes to God. He learned obedience. If Jesus had to learn obedience from his suffering, how much more do you and I have to learn? And here's Jesus. He wasn't pretending. He asked the Father three times, Father, if it is possible, if it is possible, if it is possible. You know, a few things take place as we learn to fall. As I mentioned, 
our will gets broken, which is the central theme here. He says, it's not my will, but your will. Second, as we learn to fall, even though it seems counterintuitive, we actually come to a place of, of deep love and letting go. We learn not to play God. You know, how many of you here like control? I like control. You like control. You like controlling life. You like controlling on what's going on around you. But you see, grieving and loss and learning to fall is about letting go. That you're not going to be God. You don't get to play God anymore. You aren't controlling everybody and everything in your circumstances. And the sad thing is that we have to let go. But many of us want to get up and start fixing things again. Right? And God's trying to get us to fall. And we keep saying, get out of here. We're standing up because we're not going to let that happen. The last thing in the world I want to do is feel this. You know, our culture is about accomplishing things. We see life as a set of problems to be solved. You know, we invent new medicines and technology. We put a man on the moon. We perceive problems and we solve problems. So we have these books like Eight Steps to a Successful Marriage and Nine Ways to, to Improve Your Finances. We have problems and we solve them. But here's where we go wrong. For at its deepest level, Life is not a problem, but a mystery. Problems are to be solved. Mysteries are not. In his book, Philip Simmons writes, I wish I could have learned this lesson more easily. Each of us is brought to the cliff's edge. At such moments, we can either back away in bitterness or confusion, or we can take the lip off, leap off the cliff into mystery. We hand ourselves over. We can participate in mystery only by letting go of solutions. This letting go is the first lesson of falling, and it is the hardest. Now, I want you to imagine being at the cliff, and God's inviting you to let go and to relinquish and fall off the cliff. Not a great thing. I mean, I would be thinking, I'm going to die out here. You know, God's going to abandon me. Who's going to catch me? Now listen, when Jesus let go and said yes to God, he was cut off from the Father and he tasted hell. He truly lost his relationship with the Father. He was cut off for our sake. He went to hell so that we would never be cut off. And here's the beauty. You can fall off the cliff into the loving arms of God. You will never be cut off from the Father. He will always be with you. Jesus was cut off, but we will never be cut off. So we can let go. We can follow him and we can fall off the cliff and let go and relinquish everything. Even though everything inside of us is saying, control, this is crazy. But knowing that his arms will catch us as we let ourselves go allows us to let go. And you see, that's what happens when we, when we let ourselves go at this grieving and loss. We're learning to fall and we are unlearning control. And that creates a vacancy for God to fill. As you learn to fall, you actually get freer because you're beginning to see life with clear and proper perspective. And you absorb your pain. You know, as you go through life and you grieve, you don't get rid of your pain. You absorb it. It becomes a part of who you are. You always carry it. It enlarges you. It transforms you. You don't ever, quote, get over it. It's a part of you now. And now you're, you're a gift to the world around you as the Lord makes you a more tender, compassionate, loving person, a wounded healer. You know, even as I prepared for this message this week and I reviewed my grief journal, just reading those words, that old pain just came over me. I felt the intense pain of childhood. 
I felt a pain that, that I, I felt when I, when I dealt with it all. No, I'm not over it, but I'm transformed by allowing God to take me through it and bring healing to that place in my life. You know, as you learn to fall, you learn dependence because you have no place else to go. Jesus learned to fall, but he fell into the arms of the Father. He's in prayer with the Father. His strength doesn't come because he's got willpower. His strength comes because he's so dependent. And as you and I learn to pray and as we grieve, we're praying and grieving. They're all wrapped up together all at once. I want to call the worship team forward as we begin to close here. My invitation for you today is to persevere. You know, to stay with God when you want to quit. Job had to wait. David had to wait. Abraham had to wait. Moses had to wait. Jeremiah had to wait. Jesus is waiting there on the ground in the Gethsemane, and he's crying out to the Father. When we allow Christ to forgive us our sins and we enter into a new relationship with him, we have eternal life. But you know, the benefit of that doesn't start the day we check out and we die. It starts now. It starts as we are renewed by him even now. John 10.10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, Jesus Christ gives a rich and satisfying life to those who follow him. That's, that's another version of the same scripture, John 10.10. You know, I could have continued to avoid the interruption in my life in that vow that I made when I was a kid not to let anybody close to me. I could have lived a life protected and distant and, 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 and keeping away the hurt of relationships. How sad would that have been? How much would I have missed? Instead, I was obedient to God's prompting. And yes, it was very, very, very painful. But it led to a new life for me, a resurrection that changed everything. And I invite you to allow the losses and griefs of your life to cause your heart to become soft and malleable and open to God. And that allows you to jump off the cliff. God will use your pain to teach you if you let him. And you can become a gift to others. You know, my, my prayer today is that this message would not be a heavy one that just weighs you down, but that it would be one of hope, that there can be renewal and freedom in life that never was before, that the pain and the suffering of Gethsemane leads to resurrection and freedom and life. This would be an uplifting message, challenging one for sure, but an uplifting one. You know, we're, we're going to have a time for prayer in just a moment, but I'd also re remind you that Quest has these monthly transformational services. And we got a great one coming up. It just so happens that my wife, Melissa, is leading it, and she's letting, letting me speak. But we're talking about living a life that is centered in Jesus Christ. And that'll be Friday night at 7.30 on the 28th. And those are times of worship and just uh, lengthy times of prayer and being transformed. And I, I'd encourage you, if God's speaking to you about these issues, to come to that and if you have that other slide I just want to point to the uh, this slide I love the slide that we've had up during this this time you know this is the road less traveled you know the poet said that I, I came upon a fork in the road and I chose the road less traveled and it made all the difference you know the one that everybody takes the one that would never rely on God the one that says I've got it under control 
or even the, the one that Christians take and say, no, I can't go there. God, I can't let you into that place. I encourage you to take the road less traveled, to jump into his arms and say, God, you know, even though you slay me, I trust you. As Job said, I trust you. I'm going to let you take me to that place. I want you to bring me freedom and joy and healing. I want to call the prayer ministers forth. I'd like us all to stand. I'd like to ask you to close your eyes just for a second as we close here. Prayer ministers come forth and everybody else just stand and close your eyes. You know, like Jesus, I, I I want you to invite God in. I want you to say yes to him even though you're not sure what that means. I want you to listen right now to God's interruptions and circumstances and situations in your life. You know, is there a grief or a loss that God is calling you to be present to? Just listen to his voice. Is there a grief or a loss that God is calling you to be present to, to let him into that space, to jump into his arms? You know, we want to learn to to fall in the loving arms of our Father. But it's so easy to say, I don't want to walk through these things. But I encourage you to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And you might say, you know, I really want this door open and it's shut. Okay, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And Lord, I really want this relationship with this person to work. And it's not. It's horrific. And it's lonely and I'm afraid. But Lord... Not my will, but your will be done. So Heavenly Father, as we look to the future and the choices before us, sometimes we want to grab control. We want to know we have some security here and it's going to work out. But okay, Lord, what we're saying today is not my will, but your will be done. Let it be done. The main thing is we want your will. And Lord, you sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to be upon us, to move in us, Lord to enable us to live life as it was meant to be lived. And through the comfort and power of your Holy Spirit, we can fall into your loving arms. So help us, Lord, not to buy into counterfeits or lies, but help us to follow you, Jesus, and drink the cup that you have for each one of us, trusting, Lord, that you're going to enlarge our souls and lead us to increasing wholeness and lead us to engage life in a new way. Amen. You know, if you're just starting that process of grieving, um, it's, it's going to take a while. But I, I would just ask that you come forward today and grab one of these people and pray. and Just say, you know, I'm, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to jump into his arm. I'm going to start the process. And for some of you, you may be deep in the weeds. You may be in it. And I just want you to come up and pray for encouragement. Just face it. Trust our loving Father. Know that he has freedom and life for you. And make it a great week, Quest. Amen. <laughs>